We'll be in Daniel this morning, the book of Daniel chapter 1. I'm not always this mean. Uh, when Kentucky finally plays well, I get a little bit more of a positive attitude and, and get a little bit more confident, and now let's see what happens with that. But Daniel chapter 1 today, I am always this mean to Miss Kathy, but not everybody else. And again, I say thank you, Miss Kathy, for playing the piano for us. And you're an answer to prayer. Daniel chapter 1. Today I'd like to talk about God's expectation for the American Christian. Um, if you read in the Bible, you will not find America mentioned. Uh, you will not uh, be able to find a little tab at the top of your Bible, a little, a little note that says anything about the American Christian in it. But, uh, so you can knock out the word American if you want to and just God's expectation for Christians. But we're in America, and so... Uh, today I've decided to look at several verses in the book of Daniel that will encourage us as we are still in the beginning of this new year of God's expectation for us, the American Christian. We are oftentimes a little um, exaggerated in our uh, talk about the persecution that we as Americans go through. And it's not to say that there is not persecution or that there is not more persecution now than there was 10 years ago or anything like that. But, you know, we, we understand, I believe we do, we understand that there are uh, Christians in different places of the world that go through uh, true, legit persecution. Uh, we keep up with the Tolsons in Taiwan, and, and Mark and Natasha in Taiwan right now don't go through a great deal of persecution, but they're not allowed to be in China and uh, they had to flee and get out of China, and they are still doing their part to support and help and train preachers in China. And we see reports of the persecution that those Chinese pastors are going through currently. And it makes me think, Lord, thank you for letting me uh, live in America. And, uh, you know, we come into the new year and we set new goals and we set new uh, resolutions or whatever it may be. And, and with the things that have gone on in our country over the last several months, I think it's a good reminder for us today to, if we go through more persecution, to be ready for it the way that God wants us to be ready for it. But in right now, as it stands today, what does God expect out of me? What does God expect out of me today? What does he expect out of me in the future um, if, more, uh, if, if more changes take place in our country? And I think in Daniel you'll find, as Daniel and uh, several others with him have been taken into captivity in the nation of Babylon, and here they are not uh, home. This is not, this is not where they want to be. This is not where they desire to be. This is not home to them. And we're seeing now changes being implemented on Daniel and the fellow Jews that are with him, the Israelites that are with him. And we see the reaction of Daniel and three other men that we'll look at as well. Let's look just as a text verse. We're going to look at several verses throughout the book of Daniel this morning. But let's look in verse number 8. It's one of the uh, most well-known verses in Daniel. And it's one that we bring up a lot here in our church. Daniel 1 Verse 8, the Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, 
nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Verse 9 says, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. We're going to use that for our first point today, or actually our second point today, uh, but we'll look at several other verses as well. What does God expect out of us, the American Christian? Lord, I pray that you'd help us today as we look at these verses. And God, although Daniel isn't, uh, isn't written about Americans, Lord, there is uh, so much in this book that challenges us, uh, that teaches us, that grows us to be the Christian that you want us to be. And so, God, today I pray as we look at these verses, I pray that I would present them clearly and correctly. And, Lord, I pray that you would use it to encourage us, Lord, that you would use it to challenge us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have five things today that we can learn from the book of Daniel, and uh, so let's, let's just jump right in. Number one, God is, God's expectation for the American Christian is the number one, to understand God is in control. Nothing I'm going to say today is going to be earth-shattering. Nothing I'm going to say today is going to be a, a, a light bulb moment where you go, oh, I've never thought of that. <laughs> but today it is a, a good reminder for us that we need to understand that God is in control. Look in verse number 1, chapter 1, verse number 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Look in verse 2, important words. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his, that's Nebuchadnezzar's, hand, with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of uh, his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. We see here in verse number 2 an important phrase, the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. You see, Jesus's, uh, God's children were taken captive, but it wasn't by accident, and it wasn't by surprise of God, and it wasn't by uh, uh, the, just the, the overpowering strength of Nebuchadnezzar and of Babylon. It was because God gave his children into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. You see, God was in control of this whole situation. Now, we've, we've studied and we've read and we've seen in other books of the Bible where God had warned the children of Israel, if you don't get right, if you don't repent, if you don't turn back to God and turn away from the idols that you're worshiping, you are going to be overtaken. You are going to be punished. You are going to go into captivity. And we've watched and we've seen and we've studied how the children of Israel continually refused to listen to God, refused to obey God. And because of that now, God gives them over to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And we see here this simple fact, yes, but even in this trying moment, God was in control. Now, in this case, it was discipline. It was punishment. God was using Nebuchadnezzar. And we've talked about this before, and this isn't, this isn't even in my notes, not part of the sermon, so I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail. But I find it so interesting that the people that God uses to discipline his people, wicked kings, wicked countries, idolatrous, violent, all these kinds of things, God uses them. And he puts them in a place, and he allows them to take captive or to do the discipline, whatever it is. But you know what God always does in the end? He always punishes the people that he uses, the wicked people that he uses. He still punishes them for being wicked. He still punishes them for, for hurting his people. It's not part of the sermon today, but it's a good reminder that God's in control. God is in control of the situation. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting as we listen and we watch 
um, the American Christian today um, fear what is ahead. And I understand it, I do. Uh, with the, the fear of what the changes that could be made over the next months or years or decades, whatever it may be, seeing that there's change happening within our country. But it's important for us to remember that no matter what goes on in D.C. or in Frankfurt or anywhere else, God is in control of it. God's expectation for the American Christian is to, number one, understand God is in control. Number two, it is to choose godliness over all else. And I use those words on purpose, to choose godliness over all else. In verse 8 that we read, Daniel purposed in his heart. He chose, he made a decision. I will not defile myself. I will do what God wants me to do. Now look at his attitude in doing so. It says in verse number 8, um, in verse number, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, verse number 8, he says he requested of the prince of the eunuchs, the, the leadership, that he might not. His first step was to go and just simply ask. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't uh, let's, uh, let's revolt. Now, I believe that if the prince of the eunuchs would have declined him this, I believe Daniel would have done what was necessary to obey God. But because he chose godliness, his first response was to ask. He went to his authority and he just simply said, Sir, uh, <laughs> may I not defile myself? In verse 9, it says that God had brought Daniel into favor. And because of that favor, because of God's help, um, the prince of the eunuchs gave him permission. Uh, in chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible says, Then Daniel was preferred above, all, uh, above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him. You see, Daniel chose godliness. Daniel chose that what he was going to do was going to be right. And the Bible shows us throughout the book of Daniel that Daniel never was hateful. Daniel never was angry. That Daniel chose, and, and no matter the situation, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. That sometimes meant going against the leadership. But he did it with the right spirit. That continued to open doors for Daniel to uh, uh, share with other people so they could see Daniel's God and how powerful and how great Daniel's God was. Because he simply chose godliness. Um, in two weeks, uh, I've gone next week, so we'll start it in two weeks. We're going to start a sermon series called uh, Abandoned Principles. Biblical Principles that Christians have abandoned uh, here in recent years. Uh, you, you look as far back as you want to probably, but uh, nonetheless, we're going to start that. And part of it is going to be covering similar topics to this, choosing godliness over everything else. Daniel, you have to think about this, and Daniel wasn't the only one we'll look, but uh, in verse number 11, uh, uh, well, that's the next point, so let's not read it yet. We'll get there in a second. But uh, Daniel chose I'm just going to do right. I'm just going to honor God. I'm going to please God in whatever I do. And even when, when it looks like everything, this is not easy for Daniel. Daniel was a young, young person, a young man at this time. And to stand when it, it appears from everything that we see, Daniel and three other men are the only ones that we read about that did this. 
which means everybody else went along with what Babylon was asking them to do. So it's not easy for four young men to stand against everybody else, to stand in opposition to everyone else. So when we talk about choosing godliness, we have to understand it's not going to be easy. You know, the world does not promote godliness. It's not going to. You know why? Because the things of God and the things of the world are at enmity with one another. They're against each other. We expect the world to act godly. It's not going to (laughs) happen. It just won't because they're not godly. So in order for us to choose godliness, to make the decision, I am going to do what God wants me to do, understand it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be going along with the crowd. You're going to stand out. You're You're going to be different. But it's a decision that you have to make, and it's a decision that only you can make for yourself. I can tell my kids, be godly. But honestly, until they make the decision to do it, they won't be. I can make them do certain things. I can make them go to church. Does that make someone godly? No. You see, we get caught up in, well, as long as I do this and do this, do this, then I'm godly. No. God talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's your heart that matters. Jesus Christ preached a a long sermon, by the way, uh, on, on your heart, and the heart is what matters. I can tell my kids, be godly, but until they make the decision, I'm going to honor God, they won't be. It's a decision that you have to make for yourself. As the father and the husband in my home, I can say, we are going to serve God. Right? As for me and my house. But honestly, unless... I decide for myself to do what God wants me to do. Unless Katie decides for herself, she's going to do what God wants her to do. And Brett and Cain decide for themselves, they're going to do what God wants them to do. My house won't be godly. I can do my part to help it be godly. I can do my part to lead and to, to teach and all those sorts of things, yes. But each individual person has to make the decision on their own. And God's expectation for the American Christian is to do just that, to choose godliness over all else. Number three, God's expectation for the American Christian is to work together. Do we need to stand alone at times? You bet we do. If no one else will go with us, then sure. But God desires that the American Christian work with other American Christians. Look in verse number 11 of chapter 1. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. And, and so they're asking for these four men who were renamed uh, here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may know those names better. When they came to Babylon, they gave them all new names. These four together stood, encouraged one another, said, together we will do what God wants us to do. In verse 17, uh, verse 12, uh, we read verse 12. Verse 17, it says, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You see God's blessings on these four young men. Why? Because they stood together for God. Uh, jump over to chapter 2. Look in verse 17 and verse 18. Or excuse me, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made things known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, together. Look in verse 49 of chapter 2. 
Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs and provinces of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Together, these four young men we see consistently mentioned together. Look in chapter 3 and verse number 12. There are certain Jews, this is the uh, Nebuchadnezzar had the image, the idol built. When they played the music, everyone was supposed to bow down to the idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, we read, did not bow. I don't believe Daniel did either, but in this section he's not mentioned. It says uh, uh, in verse 12, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image. Together they stood when all else bowed. Look in verse 17. If it be so, our God, whom we, the three of us, serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we, the three of us, will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You know how easy it would have been for one of them to go, hey, I'm not with them. <laughs> You can burn them, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm out. They didn't. Together, they encouraged each other. They stood together. They worked together. You see, God's desire for the American Christian is to do just that. No matter what the world does, He desires that we stand together, that we work together, that we strive together. This morning in youth group, we talked about unity. Last week in men's Sunday school, they talked about unity. The idea of being of one mind, of one accord, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what God desires from us. When he gives us the Great Commission and says, go ye into all the world, he wasn't talking just to me, he was talking to us. If you won't go with me, then sure, I'd go alone. But God's desire is that Christians stand together of one mind, of one accord, speaking one gospel, to the world and if the world says you can't do that then together we stand we can accomplish a whole lot more together than we can on our own and listen we can accomplish nothing without God you and I can be uh, rah rah re as much as we want to <laughs> without God's help it won't matter but God desires that we united in the gospel united uh, with God Stand together, work together, serve together, suffer together, succeed together. That's God's desire. You know, I wonder, had one of those three, Shadrach, Meshach, it's a great story, we're not covering it in detail today, but I wonder if one of those three, Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego, would have said, hey guys, you know, I know we said we weren't going to do this, but, you know, I'm more of a cold nature kind of guy. Um, you know, that furnace, it's just not as comfortable as I thought it would be. I think I'm going to head on out here. I wonder if the other two would have said, yeah, yeah, I guess. Sometimes it is that unity that keeps us moving forward. It's that encouragement. It's that, hey, no matter what happens, I'm with you. We in America, <laughs> we're so petty. We see it in churches. You know, well, I'm not going to do anything with that church because they do this. I'm not going to do anything with that church because they said this. And listen, there are 
needed areas that we have to separate from other churches. I'm not saying there's not. I'm not saying we ignore ungodliness in any way, shape, or form. But when we get in this mindset of we do it the best, and because they don't do it like we do it, we don't ever talk to them. And you see, God's desire is that the churches of America, the local bodies of believers all throughout America, do their part in their community. Because if we do our part right here in central Kentucky, and another church is doing their part on the west coast, and someone else is doing their part in uh, the middle, Central America, whatever you call that, not Central America, the Midwest. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. They need to do it in Central America too, in the Middle East, in Russia, and anywhere. If we all do our part and we work together, that commission that is so great that it's hard to imagine it can be accomplished, guess what? It's, it's happening because we're working together. God's expectation for the American Christian is to understand God is in control, to choose godliness over all else, to work together. Number four, and I want you to hear me out on this, to obey God rather than man. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. I have listened to more Christians use that phrase, we ought to obey God rather than man, um, uh, out of context and improperly many times over the last several months. But it is true that when the laws of man go against God, we ought to obey God rather than man. If we're obeying God, we will obey the authority that God has placed in our life. But when that authority goes against God, we ought to obey God rather than man. In Ephesians, in Daniel chapter 6, look in verse number 10. Now let's read up to it. Let's start in verse 1. It pleased Darius, he's the king now, to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above presidents and princes because of an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought it to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. What a testimony of Daniel. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Again, what a testimony Daniel had. The only way we're going to get him is if we do something against uh, what would go against his God, because we know that he won't go against his God. Verse 6, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Uh, working on the king's pride right here. 
It says in verse number 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Look in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in the chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel knew what the law was. Daniel could have closed his windows. Daniel could have went into a closet. But three times a day, before this law was in place, he opened his window towards Jerusalem, and he got on his knees, and he prayed. And after this law was written, you know what Daniel did? Knowing that the law was written, he opened up his windows towards Jerusalem. He got on his knees, and he prayed. Why? Because we ought to obey God rather than man. Now, could Daniel have prayed in a closet where no one else saw him? Yeah. Daniel was not ashamed of his God. He was not ashamed to do what he had always done in serving God. And even though the consequence was going to be being thrown into a den of lions, Daniel obeyed God rather than men. Now again, I beg you, I beg you to understand the difference between authority going against God and the authority going against what you like. Those are two different things. When the authority does not go against God, God says, obey your authority. But the moment that authority says, this is what you need to do, and it's against what God desires for you to do, you just obey God. Why? Because God promises to reward your obedience with protection and provision to take care of you. He's the gentle shepherd, and he'll lead you right where you need to be so that you can have the food and the water and the rest that you need. But if you don't obey the shepherd, you're going to miss out on those things. And you can say, which will really, well, let's get to our next point. It'll fall into that as well. Number five, and lastly today, God's expectation for the American Christian is to be willing to suffer. Because you can look at the world and, and, and things, and again, we're not at this place in America to this point, and I don't know that we'll be in the next couple of years. Maybe we will. Uh, maybe we won't. But you can look and say, well, if I obey man instead of God, I can live comfortably, I can live peaceably, I can live uh, uh, well, safely, whatever it may be. But God says it doesn't matter any of that. <laughs> if you don't obey me, you're going to be missing out on what I can do for you. So it may look like suffering is to come, but God says, I expect you to be willing to suffer. Read the scriptures. Find godly people and tell me which of them did not suffer. All throughout scripture it happened. Remember Noah? Uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The entire world was wicked. They were, uh, did that which was right in their own eyes and all of them, their thoughts were continually evil and God said, I'm going to destroy the world, destroy creation. I'm just going to flood it and, and get rid of it all. 
But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God said, Noah, build an ark. There's going to be rain. It's going to rain. It's going to flood. And anyone who's not in the ark is going to die. Noah built the ark. And along that time, there were those who didn't understand what Noah was doing. It didn't make any sense. And I guarantee there were people that would come along and, and have a little fun with Noah. What is that? It's a boat. What's a boat? <laughs> it's going to rain. What's rain? What, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time with this? It didn't, didn't happen overnight, right? It took a long time, and he built, he built the ark as God commanded him to, and his family helped, and his family were on the ark with him, and two of every kind of animal were on the ark with them. And God protected them and provided for them everything they needed during the rain, after the rain, and following the flood. You can look at uh, people like, um, you remember Isaac? You remember uh, the, the, the suffering that his dad had to go through? The idea of sacrificing your own child? That's not... That's not not suffering. <laughs> you see all throughout the Old Testament, David. You see uh, the prophets. We've seen it in Jeremiah. Jeremiah constantly being uh, um, life-threatened because he was just simply sharing the message of God, thrown into prison, all those sorts of things. In the New Testament, you see Paul. You see Stephen stoned. You see the disciples of Christ killed. See, the church of Christ persecuted. They were willing. Daniel in verse chapter, or chapter 6 here, knowing that the den of lions is what was ahead of him, Daniel still obeyed God. He was willing to suffer the consequences, whatever that meant. Did Daniel know that he wasn't going to be eaten by lions? I don't think that he did. It's just my opinion. I believe he assumed he was going to get thrown into the den of lions and he was going to be eaten and killed. But look here in verse number 20. As the king who loved Daniel was talking with Daniel, he, he did not want uh, Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den, but he had signed the decree and he worried about it before they put Daniel in the lion's den. He worried about it when they put Daniel in the lion's den all night long, waiting to go check on Daniel the next day. He says in verse 14, Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He couldn't find a way to, to get Daniel out of this punishment. In verse 16, They brought Daniel, and they cast him into the den of lions. And now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. This is the king, Darius, saying this. Daniel, your God will deliver you. Look in verse 20, he says, and when he came to the den, this is the next day, Darius came to the den, and he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? He was concerned, and he was calling, and Daniel said in verse 21, O king, live forever, my God hath sent his angel, and shut the lions' mouths, and have not hurt me. For as much as before my innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. The, the verbiage that Darius uses here in verse 20, Is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee? He asks. 
back in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 17 as they are getting ready to throw these young men into the fiery furnace. The young men said uh, to, to the king, it wasn't Darius at the time, but they said to the king, um, the God whom we serve is able to deliver us. I find it intriguing. The same terminology is used when Darius asked the question, is your God able? You see the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the testimony of Daniel has led to the point now where a king, a wicked king, is dependent on God to protect God's people. And Daniel, no matter the, uh, the consequence, he said, I'm going to follow God and I'm willing to take on whatever that means. I'm willing to take on death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to take on death. Guess what? They didn't die in that fiery furnace. As a matter of fact, they looked into the fiery furnace and saw not the three of them walking around, but four. And the fourth was likened to the Son of God. And walking around in the midst of a fire, when they came out of that fire, only three did. When they came out of that fire, their clothes didn't even smell like burnt clothes, smoke. They didn't even have a scent of it. They were in a furnace. They didn't die. They weren't hurt. They weren't coughing. They didn't have uh, uh, inhalation of smoke. They, they didn't smell like fire, anything like that. Why? Because God protected them. Why did God protect them? Because they were willing to suffer. Now listen, there are stories that go on that we, we hear in the Bible as well as stories in the history of Christians that people who were willing to suffer did suffer, suffered even to death. God's desire, God's desire for the American Christian is to be willing to suffer. Back in Daniel chapter 3, after they say that, they are, um, uh, that God is able to deliver them, in verse 18 it says, but if not, if God doesn't save us, if God doesn't deliver us, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They said, listen, God will deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still willing. We're still willing to suffer because we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to go against our God. What a lesson that should be to us, the American Christian. You know what? We'll say, we're going to serve God. You can't take away these freedoms and you can't do this and you can't do that and we're going to follow God and we're going to serve God. But what happens what happens if everything changes in our country and all of a sudden they say, you can't go to church. You can't talk about God. For years, for years, there have been people in politics trying to pass bills stating that if you preach the Bible, it's hate speech. It's been going on, not just in the last four years. It's been going on for a while now, being brought up and placed. I believe it's, I believe it's uh, Virginia delegates that have done this. I should have looked it up. I'm sorry I didn't. But they've been trying to get put into place, into law, limiting what we can say, limiting whether or not we can preach the Bible, because they would label it as hate speech, punishable by prison. Now, that's not a law right now, but what happens if it is? Are you still willing to proclaim the gospel? 
But what if it means prison time? You know, I mean, this space isn't made for prison. Are we going to be willing to suffer? Listen, the American Christian today does not suffer. Nothing like many Christians across the world. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be willing. God's expectation for the American Christian is to understand that God is in control. Friend, we are not to fear and worry. We are to depend and to trust that God knows what he's doing and that God will take care of us. God's in control of the situation. God expects us to choose godliness over all else. To be what he wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do over anything else. God expects us to work together. God expects us to obey God rather than man. And God expects us to be willing to suffer. I pray that... um, Neither us or our children have to go through that. But you just never know. Maybe God calls us to the mission field and all of a sudden we're in a situation where we've got to make a decision. Am I going to stand for God and suffer? Or am I going to run? All of this comes down to a simple decision that you have to make for yourself. Will I be what God expects me to be, what God wants me to be, what God desires for me to be? Or will I be like the thousands of others who knelt down to the idol when the music played? To the others who said, oh, well, we're not allowed to pray, so I guess we won't pray. Or will we be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and be what God expects us to be? God, I pray for your help as we come into this new year. Different changes are being made. God, I pray that you would help us just to be what you want us to be. God, I pray that you'd help us to understand the, the, the positive situations that you place us in. Lord, I still believe our country to be the best country in the world, and I'm still thankful, God, that you've allowed me to live in America. But God, today it's not about america it's about your word and god today it's about me and whether or not i am what i'm supposed to be and god i know that you expect me to understand that you are in control that doesn't mean that i'm going to understand everything that's happening but lord it should give me the confidence to faithfully follow you knowing that you're in control God, I know that you expect me to choose godliness, to make the decision that I will not defile myself. But Lord, that I'll be what you want me to be. God, I know that you want me to work together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to accomplish your will. God, I know that when when or if the government goes against you, that God, I am to obey you rather than them. But God, I also understand that I'm supposed to obey the authority that you've placed in my life. And Lord... The hardest thing I think it is for us, especially in America, is to be willing to suffer. Knowing that most of us don't know what true suffering for God is. And God, I pray that we would not allow our fear or anything else to get in the way of our willingness to just follow you wherever that leads. God, I know there's uncertainty in our country today, but Lord, I do pray 
that you would help us to be what you want us to be as individuals, as families, as a church. That God, we will be the light in the darkness. So God, I pray that you'd help us today to make the necessary changes in our lives to fulfill the expectations that you have for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name with heads bowed and eyes closed. tonight. Today we're not going to have a uh, hand raised or anything like that. I just want to give opportunity if God's spoken to you today to do what God wants you to do, to make the decision that God wants you to make. And you can do that at your seat or you can come to the front if you'd like to and kneel, that's fine. If you'd like someone to pray with you, just let me know and be happy to do that as well. But today, are you the Christian that God expects you to be? If you're not, would you make the decision to be right now? Would you stand with me, please? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, the piano is playing. I'll be quiet so that you can pray. Let's just do business with what God wants us to do today.